Welcome to the Sun-Dried Tomatoes Podcast. I'm your host and creator, Anthony Yotso. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find the audio-only version of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Please follow, download, and subscribe where applicable. For those listening to the audio-only version, I have a video version on the Sun-Dried Tomatoes YouTube channel. You may go there as well to subscribe, and you can check out other original shows, including one I'm doing right now called Random Reactions, where I just find random articles and kind of vent about them and have my own crazy reactions on them, which included in this season so far playing Wiffle Ball in the Snow, which was actually really fun. <laughs> uh, I also have a show called Brewing, Brewing the Facts and Legends of the Diamond. Uh, you can check out all those shows uh, on my channel. Subscribe, download, like, you know, support me any way you can. I, I definitely enjoy it. You can also follow me on Instagram at eclectic underscore Iozo. That's E-C-L-E-C-T-I-C underscore I-O-Z-Z-O. I will have updates, teasers, and short videos to go with my YouTube content. Plus, you might be able to get to know me a little better as well. On this episode, uh, which is actually a little later because of some some unforeseen cancellations here, but um, bringing uh, my last second guest on here, I'm so happy he was able to come on, my cousin Austin Monaco Genshaw here. Uh, he, he's come on the show before. You might have checked him out in, in the sixth podcast uh, that I did. We were talking about uh, NCAA football and, and NFL and, and other things like that, Major League Baseball playoffs and stuff. Uh, this week we're going to, or this month, we're going to talk about the NCAA men's basketball tournament. March madness is coming up. We're both really excited about that. Of course, uh, you know, Austin is currently a junior at Flagler college in St. Augustine, Florida, majoring in English with a minor in philosophy. And I'm really excited to have him back here to talk March madness. What's up, man. What's going on? How's it going? I got to get to something first though. You played wiffle ball in the oh, snow. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You should check out that. Is it all? It was awesome. Yeah, it, yeah, it was. Yeah, awesome. it was fun. I was playing. I was playing home run derby by myself. <laughs> nice. People were driving oh, yeah, by, probably thinking I was nuts. I had a GoPro strapped to my head. <laughs> 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 I was getting different yeah, angles. Flipping. You know. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, it was good stuff. Awesome. It's good stuff. Uh, but not much, man. How's it going? Uh, it's March. I have, well, it's going to be March in a few hours. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah we're recording this episode about a week before it comes out. So uh, there are some things that we'll talk about that might change and all that. So, so keep that in mind. But uh, for the most part, uh, you know, conference tournaments are coming up and, and all that. Uh, it's going to be it's good. the madness is going to come soon. <laughs> First four games are the 15th and 16th of the month. And then in my opinion, one of the greatest weekends in sports, you get uh, the first round, the 17th and 18th, and then the second round, the 19th and 20th. Anything can happen. We've already had a 16 upset of one finally a couple of years ago. And, and not just upset, dominate, <laughs> which was pretty yeah, intense. Right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, Selection Sunday uh, is gonna is always fun because you get uh, you get to see where everybody goes and then you start to figure out how you make your brackets and all that. Obviously, when you look at the lack of perfect brackets every single year and the fact that they're willing to give away millions of dollars to the person who actually has a perfect bracket, which I, I don't think has happened in most of the major ones. Uh, you know, there might there might be an outlier somewhere, but certainly not the million dollar ones that I've seen. Um, and and I'm sure people make 40 different brackets with every kind of aspect and they still haven't gotten one. You know, I've had all my final fours. I've picked the champion before. I've never been perfect after the second round. <laughs> yeah. 
I think the furthest I got actually was I, I was I was I think I lost one game in the first round, but then I was perfect in the second round. And I was like, are you serious? But then the rest of my bracket was just destroyed after that. Like, no, I did. I don't think I, I think I had one final four team. So it's, it's kind of funny when I do good in the first two rounds, I don't always do good in the later rounds, you know? Yeah. I think, I think the furthest I ever got to is probably the sweet 16. Actually. Now, actually I'd say the game or the round, so round of 32, right before the sweet 16. Yeah. And um, I want to say it was, I'm trying to think who messed it up that year. I want to say it was Butler, but I'm not 100% sure. But I do remember that was the closest I ever got. But yeah, it doesn't make it past that first weekend. Yeah. Well, because there's all, you have to pick the five and 12 usually. Like uh, if you get one wrong, you know, sometimes three 12s will win, (laughs) which actually happens a lot more than people think. I think they set it up that way as well. And then uh, mm-hmm. you, sometimes you fall into that. There were multiple years. I thought the Badgers were going to go further. And then they, they of course, got matched up with a three-point shooting machine in one of the rounds. And that was the end of them because they can't handle that. <laughs> it, it's probably going to be the same this year. For most big tw- uh, 10 teams, actually, I've noticed uh, no matter who they are, if they run up against a crazy three-point juggernaut in the first two rounds, odds are they're getting upset because they they like to grind. You know, They like to go into the paint play slow, play defense, you know, you know. Yeah. Greg guard is the toughest thing. The to garden basketball is one-on-one in the post. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So obviously we're, uh, we're, we're going to jump into this conversation actually with something that happened a few weeks ago, uh, because we've already had madness. Uh, and, uh, this has to do with that Michigan, Wisconsin scrum that happened at the end of the Badgers, 77 to 63 win at the Wolverines on February 20th. Uh, this was, uh, it was pretty insane. I mean, we've actually seen Joan Holler of Michigan, the Michigan coach do this before he, he, uh, had a, a little bit of an altercation, I believe with Maryland and the big 10 tournament, uh, the year prior. But, uh, this one was, he was upset at a timeout clear that was called at the end of the game, uh, because Greg guard didn't want. Uh, to take a 10 second violation he had some backups in. he didn't want them to have to go through that and take and uh, have to try to get the, the ball up the court so fast you know these are learning moments obviously in college sometimes those players are getting their first experience in those kinds of situations and I, i've not usually everybody's on that same page you know like it, it, they do this in high school too like the game's over, but everyone's going to still play their hardest until the end because you know people are trying to get looks uh experience you know show the coach that they're they're able to do certain things so that they maybe get more playing time later and things like that uh but Jawan howard was pressing as well uh but he was upset at the timeout and i guess he wasn't going to shake uh guard's hand and then guard went to go stop him and well it ended up uh, coming you know probably to say like hey like you know we should be better than this and then yeah you know, after a couple of things happened, punches were being thrown. So, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty ridiculous situation in my opinion. Uh, I know we were texting about this, uh, you know, I think the next day, uh, what, I mean, for you, like when you saw this going down, what, what were your thoughts on, on this, uh, ridiculous kind of, uh, to me, it was a little, little Bush league for Joan Howard to even do it. Like, even if you're mad, like you kind of got to be the better person as the coach, in my opinion, but w- what were your thoughts on that situation? Um, a couple different ones, honestly. Um, the first, my initial reaction was a little bit, um, obviously upsetting, distasteful. I mean, that's not 
something you really expect to see, at least in college basketball, you know, an NBA guy's got a lot of bigger egos and their feelings, you know, become enormous and they're easily hurt. Um, but in college basketball, I think, uh, and maybe because Joan's an NBA guy, but I just thought that first off, there's no place um, for that in the sport, you know, at all. Really, I mean, it might be exciting for some people to yeah. see, and obviously it's talked about, um, but that was my first initial reaction. Second was, is I was trying to figure out why um, Jawan was so upset that he needed to, you know, make it into a physical altercation. So I waited for his press conference. I waited for guards press conference um, you know, to kind of get a better picture of that. And like you said, we texted about it. And I think I just came to the conclusion that there's this, right. Um, we talked and I said this to you is, you know, I, I looked back and the score, I think at the time, maybe it was 71, 56, I want to say, with about a minute left. And people forget, Michigan made a three, then played defense, got a steal and a layup. And after that layup, that is when they were pressing. Yeah. Right? So so people are forgetting and that. Actually, I believe there was a foul, and then they, they um, were pressing off the inbound. But either way, all right, we inbound the ball. Wisconsin inbounds the ball. Okay, can't find anyone. It's tipped by Michigan out of bounds. Now, you have, first of all, Jawan's argument is about integrity, okay. right, and sportsmanship, mm -hmm. right, the lead's that bit. Okay, but I just gave you an example of the last previous possessions, right? So that would strike it to me that you're still playing at that point um, by pressing and having two senior starters in and also before that scored on your last two possessions and are playing good defense, right? So, but on Wisconsin's side, I don't see how that wasn't sportsmanship by putting walk-ons in there, yeah. right? So these are these are guys that had get no minutes, right? I watch every Wisconsin basketball game. Carter Higginbottom went to St. Ignatius. I knew him when I was in high school. He has not played any significant minutes unless the score is decided. Got the game's decided, yeah. right? So you got Higginbottom in the game. Um, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't even tell you some of the other guys that were in the game because they're a bunch of guys. Right. So that right there is already sportsmanship, but going back to what I said on the inbound, right. So they're pressing and there is a rule in college basketball that if you take a time out there, that four seconds that you have left to get over the half court line is reset to yeah. 10. Right. So I can see why guard takes the time out there. Now, if that weren't the case, yeah, I would be a little bit like that, you know, like, but it doesn't, I would be, I guess it would be humorous to see Greg Gard take a timeout in that, you know, instance if if the circumstances were different. Yeah. But I don't think it warranted that kind of reaction on Howard at all. You know, and I and and we talked about this as well. And I believe you said, you know, Gard probably shouldn't have touched his shoulder yeah. or, you know, grabbed his arm, you know, like and anybody that knows being touched, like you know, you don't touch another man that's walking by yeah. like that. But but I mean the display from Joan Howard, complete sore loser. I mean, it reeks of being a sore oh, loser. Oh, yeah. So, and then, and then that that's really what it all comes down to. You know, people could say guard started it, this and that, but Howard threw the first punch, and anything that came after that was a response to the actions that he had initially. And that, that you know, he escalated each event, you know, by his own actions. And so there's that – I mean, he's, he's the culprit. I mean, I don't think there's – there's any real debate about that as much as pundits want to make it. Yeah. And not to mention he, uh, again, he had altercations with, with, you know, other teams in the past as well. So this isn't yeah. like the first time he's right. had an incident. So it's just. Right. This strikes yeah. now. 
right? So talking about last year in the Big Ten tournament, he had a he had a scuffle, or not a scuffle, but an argument between coaches um, and Rutgers this year too, as well. So that didn't really amount to anything. But now you have this thing with Wisconsin, like you know, he's skating on thin ice. Michigan's a proud university; they will get rid of him if he can't figure out how to control. Oh himself. yeah, I mean, and and I'm I, I think the five game suspension is uh, is definitely warranted yeah. at this point. Uh, you know, it sends a message and. It, it essentially, to me, it's the warning. If you do it again, then you probably aren't coming back next year. We're going to get rid of you after the year. That That's what I see. You know? Absolutely agree. Yeah, you can't have coaches just going around throwing open hand punches at people. Yeah. That are not even in the initial yeah. thing that you were upset about, right? This wasn't guard that he hit. He hit an assistant yeah. coach that came up and told everyone to get the F off the yeah. court. Yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah, and, and some of the players that got involved, like you, you – the league has to, you know, make sure that that stuff doesn't happen too. So I understand why some of those other suspensions came down, but it, to me, it, it definitely all went and guard getting fined as well. It because he made the contact, you know, he has to, he shouldn't have done that. So I, I agree with that as well. But it's just uh, Howard definitely was the main guy. So I think that I, they did they did good with the suspensions on this one. They don't always they sometimes miss the mark on these. I was curious what they were going to do. I think they did good, but now the real question is too going up. Cause like you said, he definitely showed this sore loser kind of temper tantrum here. Um, and, and that's not showing your player something good too. Uh, you know, you have to, your team has to be disciplined and it's like, you look at Michigan's record and some other games, they've been undisciplined at times. And sometimes that uh, reflects the coach. And uh, now there, there's a possibility that, would Michigan and Wisconsin play again in the, in the big 10 championship. And everyone's going to be watching that last handshake. If Wisconsin wins again, or even if Michigan wins, what happens in that situation? It's, it's something that you don't really want, you know, you just want to focus on the game. Uh, but uh, that game could be a physical mess in and of itself, uh, you know, because the players again, usually reflect their coach. So these things went down the Michigan players might feel like we're going to be even extra physical. Like there might, the refs might have to like watch fouls and things like that, you know, and that with Michigan being kind of a bigger team, like I don't, that could actually work against the Badgers, unfortunately, if it's like a physical game inside, but you know, it's just, uh, you know, I think that that's going to be an interesting thing. If, uh, if they end up playing again, like what's going to happen and nothing could happen. It could totally blow over and, and, you know, but, that's actually what I think would happen, yeah. honestly. Yeah. I think they'd both be the best behavior, as, as childish as that sounds. I, I, I only you know, hope. Talking, <laughs> because it should. Yeah, I mean, at that point. You know. Yeah, absolutely. At that point, you're in the Big Ten tournament, right? So any scuffle you have, now you're affecting maybe, you know, if you were to lose that game, the next thing would be the NCAA tournament. So now you're taking games away from yourself, you know, maybe other teammates in the games that are now considered the playoffs. Yeah, you know, or, so. or, yeah and you, you could I, lose say Michigan doesn't make it, say they do something and they don't make it to the tournament, they can still make it to the NIT. And any of those, even if it's like, you know, the, 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 you know, the CBI invitational or whatever, like if they, if they, regardless of what postseason you make it to, it's still exposure for your program. Even Michigan being in one of those lower tournaments, it's still good for your players and for like the program to make some extra money, you do get revenues, TV revenues and things like that to help your program. So, you know, you don't want to get suspended from those, like where they just take your team out because, you know, as like an extra punishment, you know? So 
I mean, I agree with you. I don't think that he'd be dumb enough to do something um, in that instance. But if if Wisconsin blows him out again and Craig Card's calling timeouts at the end with this with this uh, you know bench players and like it, it, I'll definitely be interested to see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> it might be one of those Absolutely. reluctant handshakes, you know. <laughs> right, right. Fist bumps. I'll give them. Yeah, bumps. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, uh, I am excited. I like the, I think the big Ted tournaments, uh, is, is really fun. There's usually, uh, a lot of physical play, um, kind of an old school basketball in my, my opinion. I kind of, I enjoy that. Um, so I am looking forward to that. And of course, besides the big 10 tournament, there's all the other conference tournaments. We're going to start getting all the automatic bids and then thinking about who's on the bubble and all that. It's a pretty fun time to kind of speculate. And of course, then we get the big dance, and uh, that's when that's when the the fun happens. <laughs> you know? you, you, I mean, you literally have, uh, you, you know, who's going to be the upsets? You know, who's going to be the favorites? Who's going to be the dark horses? And we'll go. We'll personally go through all this, but uh, uh, it's just you can read article after article on every single journalistic site like ESPN there'll be like a thousand videos on every game like you could go through the stats like who's on the teams you know like uh who's who's the favorites just based on seniors and stuff and then sometimes you'll see stories about uh here's an interesting way to pick teams like you know this team like you know their favorite food is pizza so maybe you pick them that way <laughs> you know it's just uh you never know what's going to happen but uh uh for me uh i think w- making a bracket is my favorite thing. I usually take hours on the uh, Monday after selection Sunday. I usually start right after I know what's going on, but on on the Mondays when I actually pick the teams. Um, and then, you know, I'll watch the first four games because sometimes that dictates who wins those games because matchups matter, of course. But, uh, you know, there's there's just so much to think about. Uh, when when you're picking teams, there's so many statistics to look at, sure. and, yeah. and sometimes it doesn't even matter. <laughs> you know, like we've talked about, it's almost impossible to have a perfect bracket. I don't think it's ever happened, and it probably won't ever happen. Uh, if it did, it would be an anomaly. Uh, but I still think it's very impressive when you have, uh, you know, your elite eight, your final four, and your champion picks uh, in your first bracket that you did. And, uh, you know, that's, that's something that, uh, you know, a lot of people will look at brackets and experts and that's how they say all oh, this experts really good. Cause they pick the champion, they pick the best teams to go. Cause most people get busted in the beginning. Uh, you know, like I, I, for my random reaction show, of course I do my taste buds versus my brain reactions, uh, just to show how insane it could be. And this last time my brain destroyed my taste buds because my taste buds had 15 seeds when national time. well they actually had syracuse yeah. making it they had a 15 seed upset in baylor like just crazy things uh but uh you know it, i think it just uh that's what makes this thing fun is you never know who what's gonna happen and, and now uh you know for us we're looking at who's the favorites right now and and the the line got totally upended uh with so many upsets the this past you know week uh one through six lost, yeah. Yeah, and, and you had Baylor, which I, I said, uh, you know, I, I showed you some of my thoughts before. Like, 
uh, the Big 12 is is definitely something that I'm looking at as uh, as uh, I think they're they're going to have some deep teams that go, um, you know, and and some of them might get upset, but you know. It's, and we could talk more about these teams later, but you got Texas Tech, uh, you know, they're on the three line at the moment. Uh, you have, you know, Baylor and then Kansas. They might switch some more after the Big 12 tournament. Um, you know, and, and, you know, Texas is another good team out of there. So there's so many teams. The Big 10, you got uh, Wisconsin, Purdue um, as some of the top teams coming out of there. But, uh, you know, don't sleep on some of the other teams that are coming out of there, too. You know, Rutgers could get a couple of wins, things like that. Uh, You know, their team's definitely not that bad. Um, And then you have, you know, Gonzaga and, uh, you know, Alabama, Tennessee, UCLA, Providence. All those teams are good enough to definitely make a little bit of a run. Uh, You know, there's uh, when... The biggest thing to look at in a bracket is that the seeds, while there's a lot of upsets, they do matter in the end, usually. Uh, you know, and again, a lot of this stuff might change with who's in it. Some of these teams might be upset. We don't know. Like, uh, uh, there's some teams on the butt, like Loyola, Chicago, you know, they're a team that I was looking at, but with their recent loss, they have to win their conference tournament now. Like, so they might not even make it. Uh, but if they do, they're a team that I would watch. We could talk about all these teams a little later. But number one seeds have made the national championship 32 times since 1979. That's when they started to seed these uh, brackets because they used to just kind of throw them together with no seeds, which probably was even more difficult to pick because no one knew you know, where everybody was on the list. Not to mention you couldn't watch all the games like you can now. Uh, but uh, 21 of those 32 teams have won the national championship. So they've made it 32 times and have won 21 out of those 32. And of course, sometimes one faces one. Uh, so I, I didn't see the exact amount that happened, but you know, it, it's definitely the number one seeds. One of those four usually are going to win, you know, high percentage uh, and, you know, and then, and then it keeps going. Actually, you know, I have the numbers here is, is, um, waiting for them to come up, but uh, it, the number two seeds are another one that uh, they've been in the championship 17 times. They've only won seven of those 17, uh, but they're another seed that you have to watch. Uh, three seeds, surprisingly, only 11 times. Uh, they're five and six, so it's, you know, it's it probably depends on matchup. Um, number four seeds have only gone three times. Uh, Arizona won in 97. Uh, number five seeds have gone three times, but have never won. Uh, so as you can see, it gets lower and lower. Number six seeds are an interesting dark horse spot. Uh, they're two and one in championship games. They've only made it three times, but when they do, they tend to do good. NC State and Kansas both won in the 80s. Uh, the NC State one's pretty classic. There's all kinds of videos on their yeah. celebration, you know. Uh, the only number seven seed to make it was UConn, and they won in 2014 in probably the most ridiculous bracket I've ever done. I believe that was the year that no number one seeds were left, uh, or maybe only one made it to the Final Four. Uh, just uh, just two eight seeds made the championship, uh, with uh, Villanova winning it all in 1985. That's another classic game. Uh, after that, just six teams seeded nine to 16 have ever made it uh, to the final four. And none of them have made the championship. So odds are a double digit seed. They're not going to shock the world by cutting down the nets at the end of it all. But the beauty of this tournament is that anything's possible. I mean, again, 
We had number 16, University of Maryland, Baltimore County of all colleges, destroyed Virginia. Uh, A 20-point win in that game. They were 20-point underdogs. I remember watching that game just like, just amazed the whole time. You know, that that was so fun. Um, I remember watching my dad and like, can't believe this is actually going to (laughs) happen. Like, I'm going to win. Yeah. To (laughs) witness it is just, you knew it was going to happen at some point. You know, that yep. could literally be the only time it happens for another 30 years. But uh, I do think that the the seeds are getting different because kids are starting to go to any college because anything can happen. You know, it's all about matchup. Um, but like I said, the Big 12 looks to be good. Kansas uh, a senior 6'5 guard, um, you know, Chai Agbaji, uh, you know, he averages 20.2 points and hits 44.5% beyond the arc. So he's someone that uh, could definitely carry a team. Baylor. Uh, you know, the reason why they're in the one line now, they always have speed. They can hit three pointers. Um, junior Adam Flagler, uh, just like your college, uh, hitting over 40% from, from, from beyond the arc, uh, Texas, Texas team that really catches my eye because not only do they have seniors and juniors, uh, playing balanced and well on both sides, defensively and offensively, uh, you know, and upper class is pretty good. You got Bryson Williams, Terrence Shannon, Jr. from Chicago. He's a stud. Uh, six six guard yep. Kevin McCaller, uh, you know Kevin O'Banner, uh, all double digit points. You know, of course, the, we talked about the Big Ten. You never know what's going to happen with uh, with with one of those teams. Wisconsin and Purdue are very good, and I could see them making it far. But again, matchup matters, and if they run against a, a too good of a team, it's probably not going to happen too good for them. Auburn, Arizona, and Gonzaga are you know they'll all be good, even if they struggle and drop seeds that doesn't always mean anything. I've seen that happen before. And then the team ends up doing, you know, maybe better than anyone thought because they dropped to a two seed, you know, something like that. So they could all do it, but you know, I want to turn it over to you because I know you've been doing a lot, uh, you know, looking at these teams, you were the one that were excited to do this. Uh, you know, let's talk favorites. Like, you know, who do you think, uh, is going to be the favorite to win? Like who are some of the teams that you're looking at as like the true favorites to win this whole thing? Um, well, first, obviously, like you've said, Gonzaga, I mean, um, they, and, and all that saying after they, they, um, they lost to St. Mary's on, um, on Saturday. Um, but it's very rare. And I think it's been proven that it's pretty rare. I mean, Drew Timmy is not going to miss the first eight shots of the game very oh, often. Yeah. And Chad Holmgren fouled out on Saturday night. Right. So they were in foul trouble. Their bigs were in trouble, weren't making shots. And, you know, Gonzaga runs through their bigs as, as fast as a, you know, pace offense as they as they have been over the years, uh, they kind of developed that play and that rhythm um, by their bigs being able with both vision. I mean, Holmgren's seven one and he can go coast to coast. You know, so um, not having good games out of those guys uh, kind of hurt them. But as far as as the rest of the field goes, especially this year with the rest of the teams, um, I think Gonzaga is by far your favorite. Holmgren's probably slam dunk number one pick um in the nba draft oh, yeah. uh you mentioned you mentioned baylor um you know i i like baylor a lot and uh and i think matthew mayer is a good role player for them too as well as along to go with like flagler like you mentioned and uh, they got flo thomas he's really you know he's, he's a good contributor as well so um i like them but i think my favorite team and i think they probably will be the second favorite behind gonzaga is arizona uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so they have, uh, normally basketball, college basketball teams, you know, have between, I would say probably between 15 
to 19 guys um, on their team. And uh, 11 guys on Arizona are from another country. So think about how wild that is, what quite a team that is from all all over the world, basically. Uh, But, I mean, we're talking about studs down low, Coloco, beast down low. And uh, Tabalis is also – he's – He's got size off the bench, but he's young. Um, but the thing about it is he's so skilled to be able to work with some of these other guys that they got, right, that we're, we're talking about bringing guys in from Russia, Slovakia, Mali, you know, different forms of, of being able to play, I guess, or the way the, the professional levels play um, in those countries all work together. Kerr, uh, he can shoot it from deep. Dale and Terry off the bench, great. And let's not forget that – Tommy Lloyd is the coach of Arizona who was the assistant to the Gonzaga head coach who is now the number one team. So a Gonzaga Arizona matchup in the final four or a national championship matchup would be really, would be really awesome. And I think that those two teams are probably the favorites oh, yeah. to, to get to the, to the national championship. Uh, Kansas, obviously a I mean, he is a candidate for national player of the year. Um, you know, self kind of always uh, rises to the occasion in March as far as coaching goes. Um, very smart coach, uh, you know, kind of knows what he's getting out of his players. He reminds me a lot, and I know that this probably isn't a normal comparison that a lot of people would make, but for me at least, he reminds me a lot, maybe not as much as passion, but as as much as perspective of the game as Bo Ryan. Bill Self and Bo Ryan have a lot of similarities to me as far as um, protecting the basketball and also – knowing concepts, right? So how to stop as far as like when they face the fast-paced team, what defense stops that pace? A slow-paced team, what defense, if they want to speed them yeah. up, you know, because their offense could go at any rate, yeah. right? So they could they could jam it down low and score, or they can shoot threes for all, for, you know, they could shoot the lights on yeah. the gym. So, so you know that too. So I, I really like Kansas. Um, yeah, that versatility. And then another, good. You know, when you have versatility, right, that exactly. that's definitely one of the things you look I, at in the tournament is versatility because yeah, you never know who you're going to face. So, you know, that helps. I was going to follow up saying I think they're the deepest team um, as far as roster goes in the in the tournament this year. Um, but they just got a lot of – they. I mean, really all these teams have question marks. There isn't – I shouldn't say there isn't any clear cut. I think Gonzaga is and probably Arizona, but – but all these teams do have some question marks. Obviously, you know, Arizona just got blown out, you know, unranked and maybe not even 500 Colorado. Yeah, that was, a, um, that was probably the worst of the losses for sure. Gonzaga didn't look good. Um, Although know, St. Mary's Kansas. has been their Achilles heel for sure. They t- even though they've beaten yes, them a lot. Yeah. It, it, I think I think they beat them many they, games in a row, but like they still, St. Mary's always seems to find a way against Gonzaga at some point. So, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that that is the thing that I think people always knock on Gonzaga, right? So you see them have this bad game against St. Mary's and it doesn't give you the confidence to, you know, like I said, as they would be a favorite probably in Vegas too, right? To put your money on yeah. that or especially, you know, to have them win your bracket. Uh, my buddy Bill actually is a huge Gonzaga hater. Um, he just thinks they're always frauds every, <laughs> every year. He just puts them loose to get upset. Yeah. Um, so, so shout out Bill for that one. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, um, I think really all these teams have questions, but I wanted to say that Duke, I think, you know, not a lot of people are talking about them right now. Um, you know, the ACC has been kind of weak this year. North Carolina's trying to fight their way in. Uh, Virginia hasn't been the same Virginia in years. Um, you know, so you got a lot of teams 
that are middle of the pack in the ACC. So Duke hasn't really gotten the recognition that it usually gets in, in past years. Um, but I think they have the highest, the highest ceiling, obviously um, tremendous talent coach K's final year. Um, and I think that's, that's important to those guys, right? This is coach K's final run. And I think a lot of those guys are one and dones, right? Mario Williams, probably out and Carroll probably out after this year and AJ and Griffith. Um, you know, they're, we're, we're talking about three guys right there that are going to go and probably in the top 20 of the NBA draft. Yeah. Um, so, so I think they have the highest ceiling as far as talent. The only thing that really hinders them, you know, outside of coach K obviously would be experience. Um, because Duke, if you remember, was not in the tournament last year. Hmm. And then the year before that, there was no tournament. Yeah. So we're going no Duke in the tournament. Now this would be the third year, obviously they're going to make it. So it's been a while since we've seen the blue, the blue devils. Um, and I think they're definitely probably a team to watch out for as always. Yeah. It, the experience um, does come yeah, into just, play too. I have to say the, uh, it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to have a deep run. They're not going to make the elite eight or something like that. But there have been some teams uh, that have been very good. Uh, there was West Virginia team that was very good, like five, six years ago. Uh, but the one thing about them is they, they had, uh, you know, they had a lot of uh, younger players on the team or inexperienced players that didn't have, uh, you know, March madness experience. And it ended up hurting them in a close game later in the tournament. Uh, so it does come back to bite you, but then, you know, Kentucky's had all freshmen and have won national championships. So, you know, it, you just never know, but I do think that that is a point to, to talk about though, uh, when a team is inexperienced and doesn't have those things that, you know, then you look at the coach and I mean, coach K is going to be coach K, so he'll have them ready to go, but you know, it, it gets daunting. That was my, it gets point. daunting for sure. You could go sometimes, you know, out of, the, out of decades, you know, when you have self, you have Calipari, you have, you know, even Izzo, you have, you know, Shrasavsky, you could get away, you know, with kind of playing with freshmen. Um, and I, you know, I don't know how, how much people watch, you know, Big Ten basketball that would be listening to this, but Indiana is probably a team of what you were saying would be a case of that, right? You know, the, um, you know, they got Mark Davis as their coach now and, and, and they have good basketball players. They have a lot of talent on their team, but these kids don't know how to win, like how to win something. Yeah. Um, and that's really the issue for Indiana. Um, and, that, and that, like you said, it does come back to bite teams. It could come back to bite Duke. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's, that's – experience is definitely a major role when I, when I fill out my brackets as well because it usually pays off. In yeah, yeah, especially um, in those close games, you know, because there's just something about uh, guys that have that, like, kind of battle-tested, I've been in close games, either losing or winning close games. You kind of learn – the little things like if you if you've lost close games in the past but you got that experience you still have the tape of why you lost you know so you're still able to work on it there's usually five or six plays you could go back to and say hey like i missed this rebound that was huge you know we missed we we shot terrible from the free throw line we got to get better there you know there's there's things you can look at uh there's things you can't control sometimes you know sometimes it's just not your night you're cold you're not hitting your shots whatever but uh, a lot of times there's five or six things you could go back and, and it could switch the result and experienced teams have a better chance at that. And I think that also helps, uh, you know, when you look at the tournament itself and the way the brackets are set up, you know, the, f the first game that has happened, most teams have had all week to prepare for them, but the, the second round games, which, uh, you know, you only have like a day, it, you, you know, you just found out who your opponent is and you have a day to prepare for them. 
uh, younger players sometimes have a hard time with uh, coming up with those game plans, you know. And then, and then if you if you're losing in the beginning, especially as the favorite, uh, it's hard to adjust at halftime sometimes if you don't have that experience on what the other team is doing. Um, so, because of those factors, I definitely can see. Uh, the younger teams struggling and they have, but like you said, you know, coaching has sometimes brought out the best and even the freshmen. And especially if a lot of those freshmen uh, or younger or sophomores or whatever are probably NBA bound, there's a reason why they're going to go in the draft. They're already really good players that are smart and they know how to play basketball. So, you know, it, it really depends on those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just add on to that, since we're talking about favorites, I know, uh, going into the show, obviously, you kind of give me a little direction here. So the thing about it, though, is this year is so tough. So well, I, I have, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 15, 17 teams that I have written down here that I could talk probably in pretty good depth about. <laughs> but just to name a few off, because I want I want to not keep you here all day. Um, obviously, Kentucky, you seem to watch out for uh, a lot of good guard play, and they got good shooters. Um they get some good tough tough villains off the bench. Kind of a lot. A couple PJ PJ Tucker in the NBA would be a comparable. Some of these guys that can play defense off the bench for Kentucky. So that will be big in March. Also, obviously you mentioned Purdue, and I think they have some question marks. But I don't want to speak too much on that because Wisconsin plays them tomorrow night. When people have watched this, that game would have already been over. But I'm not going to jinx it going into tomorrow. <laughs> um, obviously, Wisconsin. And I would get back to them, but I would like to talk about them. You mentioned Texas Tech. Uh, Terrence Shannon Jr. is I, – I don't know if I told you this or maybe my dad this, but uh, one of my favorite basketball players in college basketball this year, along with St. John's, who's not going to make the tournament, but they've been one of my favorite teams to watch, uh, Julian Champagne. Uh, watch out for him in the NBA draft. Um, and then we mentioned Arizona, Auburn, who struggles on the road. Yeah. And uh, – Blooper teams watch out for LSU, UConn, and Arkansas. And that's kind of that was kind of the breakdown of my list. Um, I know you want to get to Wisconsin too at some point too. Yeah. So I'll go back and talk about that. But I mean, that's just kind of a testament to this March, right? It's gonna be, it's gonna be crazy. Nope. It was crazy this past weekend. And I think that's how most of this tournament will probably yeah. go. Um, I think it's definitely one of those years where you could look on paper and say, probably, yeah, this team is gonna win or this team's gonna make a deep run. But I expect it to to be to be very unpredictable yeah as it usually is it hasn't been a few years but i think this year it will be yeah it's actually kind of funny too because uh yeah i'm guessing that the majority of brackets that you see online will have gonzaga arizona as probably the two top picks um and then you'll see Mm -hmm. some baylors and some texas techs for sure um i would think you know a lot of big 12 people probably some kansases you know you'll see dukes you know you'll see them but but definitely gonzaga and arizona are going to be the top picks for for like when they do the brit percentage breakdowns like you know absolutely you know it's i think auburn probably be up there in picks yeah. too I, I know a lot of people auburn's a good team too they're they're a team to look at when you know i know they've they've struggled on the road you know and, and they got to play neutral games in, in the tournament but uh, if they get hot, man, like they they're good enough to win the whole thing. Oh, yeah. So it's just you know, I mean, yeah. Jabari Smith is an insane player. I mean, they have good players. I just they just feel fraudulent to me. I don't know why. They just yeah, I, I think it's that consistency and you know, pl- road wins are huge, uh, especially when they're picking who makes the tournament and they're gonna make it. But 
you know, it's just sometimes that goes, you know, a neutral game is essentially a road game. So, you know, you know, I, I know crowds follow and everything, but, uh, uh, you know, it's also a little different sometimes because you're playing in bigger stadiums. Sometimes that messes with teams as well. I guess that's something to think about for some of the smaller schools that make it. Uh, but, you know, with a lot of teams, th- to be honest, it's almost like everyone's a dark horse at this point when you have that many yeah, teams, yeah. right? Literally. You know, Literally. and yeah. they're usually in the eight first eight seeds when you're talking about a team that's a dark horse that's going to make a final four run, potentially make the national championship. Uh, they're most likely in the first four seeds. So, you know, the top 16 teams, uh, but you know, I, like we've said, we've had teams up to the eighth seed that, that have made the final before. So, uh, do you have any teams that are like, that are lower in the rankings at this point that are probably going to be on those lower seeds, uh, that you think have a shot to maybe surprise some people this year? Yeah, I think, um, one team that, you know, obviously a conference, a lot of people are not, wouldn't pay attention to is the, uh, Mountain West conference, right? No, that's not really, uh, you know, on ESPN much, uh, the games are late at night. Uh, so not many people pay attention, but I think a team to watch out for probably, um, from that conference, depending on how they do in their conference tournament, but also going forward is Wyoming. Uh, they got two great guards, two knockout punches, Maldonado and Drake. Um, two guys that could shoot it, put it on the deck if you need it, drive to the hoop when you need a bucket. Um, and I, I just love the I love the competitiveness out of both of them. And then also tremendous forward Graham E.K. also on Wyoming. Um, you know, big size, kind of lengthy, reminds me a little bit of Kevin Durant, shorter, um, but could pull up, uh, loves the one-on-ones, and uh, he can he can also take it to the rack. Um, and this is you know, usually it's not out of the Mountain West. You usually get your San Diego States, um, your New Mexico's. They've yeah. always kind of been a staple to that conference. Um, but I think Wyoming and, and also Boise State um, could potentially be a team to watch out for. Um, I just feel like I think as far as, you know, when you throw in Ken Palm statistics and you think a little bit about, um, you know, bracketology and as far as yeah, obviously the normal NCAA statistics. Uh, Wyoming surprisingly falls into the top 50. I looked this up. Top 50 in Ken Palm. Top 25 in offense. Top 75 in defense. Not that that's saying much. But thinking about that from a Mountain West team, they're the first Mountain West team since 1983, right, when their conference only had seven teams <laughs> to do that. Yeah. Be top you know, you would say 75, I guess, in all three of those categories. And if you want to throw in a fourth one in efficiency, they're top 115 in the country, which when I say top 115 sounds a little daunting. Yeah, it's still a third of the country, you know. Many, yeah, right. There are many college basketball. Yeah, over 360, so, I believe, uh, that usually in, yeah, you know. And uh, they were ranked um, They were ranked a few weeks ago at 22. I'm, I'm, I don't think they're there anymore, but they play a big game tonight against San Diego State. Um, both of them are top three in their conference. Um, their regular season conference winner hasn't been decided yet. Um, so I think that would probably be definitely a team to watch out for. Um, I've always kind of been high on Indiana too. I really like, I really like them as a team, um, but I think that they don't know how to win, like I talked about previously. Uh, but a lot, Trace Jackson Davis, um, I think, is one of the best bigs in the country. 
because Indiana is only, you know, 20 and nine yeah. or 20. Um, it's not talking a lot, but they have a lot of good basketball players. Tennessee um, is also a good hooper on that team. And they're coached by an NBA coach, you know, previously an NBA coach. Um, but they're right now, I think, projected to be like uh, along kind of the uh, probably first four games, I would say, or maybe a 12 seed at best. Um, they're going to have to do some damage in the Big Ten tournament to kind of up that for them. Yeah. Uh, you know, those are two teams I, I was looking at. And then lastly, um, one team I also want to talk about that didn't get enough recognition for me um, is St. Mary's. Yeah. I mean, they beat Gonzaga. Uh, that so that's a, that's a huge win. Yeah. Exactly. And, and not only that, um, you know, they also have great guard they play. And, and in March, I think, I think that's probably the most important piece. Uh, we talked a little bit about experience, about coaching, uh, being able on how well you played on the road in the regular season and how that translates. But I think guard play is probably a very important factor yeah, too, because that's a good point. you need guys that know how to, you know, control the pace. Um, no guys that know when to take over or when you need a bucket, when you need them to kind of kind of lift the spirits a little bit. Um, yeah, that's so, a great point. Know, great guard. That's play. a great point. Great guard. Because uh, I yeah, was thinking I back to so just off the top of my head right away, uh, you know, because uh, Shaka Smart went to Oregon, Wisconsin high school. So, you know, we were actually writing stories when I worked for that paper over there when VCU was an 11 seed. They made it. Uh, the reason why those lower schools do it is because of the guard play. Usually they usually have a stellar point guard. Um, you know, they, they have other things, defense and maybe a little bit of experience and, and, you know, senior loaded backcourts and all that kind of stuff. Usually the, but the guard play is definitely something that I feel is a good way to see who's maybe going to get some upsets and maybe make a deep run out of nowhere. Uh, that's a great point. Cause, cause that's, I mean, it's true. Point guards win. Point guards are, are one of the most important part especially in high school and college Absolutely. And, well, and you were talking about uconn earlier right and how they were eight c or seven seed went on to win the national championship like let's not forget kemba walker had one of the best madnesses in like tournament yeah, history right? that was something um and let them to a national championship so you need good guard playing marks and that's you know, as simple as it goes so saint mary's two good guards and that's kind of kind of my been my theme with these dark horses and when i talked about indiana Good facilitator in Xavier Johnson. Talk about Wyoming. Got both Drake, Maldonado, Graham Ike. And then also, like I said, St. Mary's got two big men down low and then good guard play. A good guard um, transfer from I can't remember the school, so bad journalism on me. Um, but he is uh, he's a hooper. I mean, simple as that. They're ranked right now, so I know this is not much of like an eight seed dark yeah. horse. But before that Gonzaga game in Bracketology, they were projected as an eight seed. Yeah. So they're definitely a team to watch out for. I mean, I watched them play Wisconsin early on in the year. I've watched them a little bit because I enjoy watching West Coast um, basketball. You know, it's on late at night sometimes when I can't sleep. So, you know, it's good to watch. Um, and they've just, you know, I wasn't as high on them because I just always thought Gonzaga would steamroll them. But after watching the way they controlled that game, uh, it's definitely telling. And I definitely see my probably watch out for. So, yeah, for sure. There's my. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And. You know, one one other thing that I really love about the tournament, of course, Cinderella. You know, everyone talks about who's going to be Cinderella this year. The double-digit seed or the mid-major or small D1 school that shocks the world, you know, taking out one seeds, things like that. Uh, I do expect many upsets, as they always happen in the first two rounds. Uh, there'll be some difficult Sweet 16s for top seeds. I always feel like for the top seeds, getting past the Sweet 16 is the biggest thing, and then things tend to kind of even out finally. 
the, the, the better teams tend to win at the end once they make it through that gauntlet. Uh, you know, some teams off the top of my head, uh, you know, Loyal Chicago is a good team. They lost this. They need to win their conference tournament to get in, so they might not make it. But I think they are a final four pick again for some people if they do, because their team is really good. They're in the top 20 and three point percentage and top five and overall field goal percentage. When you can shoot like that, you could definitely move on in the tournament. You know, the defense hasn't been that good in, in the last few years, but uh, you know, they, they can force turnovers and, and if they can do that and then make those shots, look out, <laughs> you know, uh, the Atlantic Sun is another conference that sometimes people look at bracket busters galore out of there. You know, you had Florida Gulf Coast from a couple years ago, but one of the current leaders, Liberty, uh, they've hit over 50% from three-point range. Nobody wants to see that team in the first or second round. They are hoping Liberty doesn't win their conference tournament because if they get in, oh, I did not know look that. out. Yeah, it's insane. You know, they don't really rebound. They're very volatile, you know, because essentially they got to hit their threes. But 50%, if they're going to hit 50% threes, the game's over. Like, I don't, you know, you better hope you're hitting. That is, <laughs> that is impossible. Yeah, yeah. Wow. and I think that it's a battle-tested conference to the Atlantic Sun. They play tough games. The tournament's going to be tough. So whoever wins that conference tournament's going to be pretty good. But uh, you know what? You know those are just some teams off the top of my head. So what, so what about you? Like any bracket-busting teams on your radar? Some random team that uh, people might not know about. All right. So yeah, I mean, I think there would probably be. I picked. Uh, I had to do some research on it, but I think one team that I would pick that's a for sure probably going to win their conference. And then one team that I think could win their conference in advance to the tournament and probably burst uh, some brackets or break some brackets. Uh, the first team is Murray State. That's one team I think I would watch out for. I definitely think they're going to win their conference. They're by far the more superior team. Um, they're, they're averaging over 75, 76 points a game. Uh, and, and the thing about it is this is also a very telling stat to me is that in the second half, when leading by two points after 13 minutes to play in the second half, they're 17-0 and 0 oh, this year. Yeah. In their I don't care who you're playing. That's, so that, that's impressive. Yeah, if you're, if you, so now you're talking about a team that is if they're winning by two points after 13 minutes you know, left to play, and that close margin, you know, that, that tells you something, right? Even if the competition is not as you know up to par as you know some of the power five conferences yeah uh, so murray state would definitely be a team to watch out for and then one team that i'm going to pick that's a cinderella that probably i believe i checked this morning there are 3300 on the vegas line in their conference their conference tournament but northern iowa that would be the team that i think you should watch out for um if you remember uh i want to say it's got to be at least 10 12 years ago they beat kansas yeah, that three-pointer uh, at the buzzer i had that upset pick so you know i i spilled all my beer when that happened. <laughs> there you go, yeah, there you go. all right kudos to you snap right snap uh but uh, yes, Northern Iowa, 3,300 to win their conference. Um, but I definitely think there would be a team to watch out for. Uh, they would have to, um, you know, obviously put it together. Uh, but the only telling stat that I think I found that I really loved about them was that they commit the least fouls in college basketball. Oh, yeah. So if you're not fouling, you got a chance, right? Yeah. Not sending them to the charity stripe, you got a chance. Yeah. Uh, so. Those were my two teams. Uh, I tried to do some research on more, but it's hard. It is hard uh, to kind of it's hard to sell pick. myself to Belmont or sell myself yeah. to 
to, you know, Chattanooga. Yeah, so. especially when you don't know the yeah. matchups yet. It makes it even harder, you know. Yeah. And then some of them might not make it because a lot of these teams, you got to win your conference yeah. tournament, you know, like because you're not getting in. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, some of the stats though, from some of those teams are nuts. Like when I saw Liberty stat, I was just like, wait, is this real? And I kept looking at it. I'm just like, that, yeah. that's insane. <laughs> 50%. That's yeah. It's intense. Uh, they, yeah. you know, they, they have some fantastic shooters on their team. And, and you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of, uh, when Curry was lighting it up and unfortunately taking out Wisconsin, <laughs> You know, like they, they, they shot the lights out of the ball by just throwing screens. The Liberty's got multiple guys. They could throw those threes, you know, like they're, you know, so if they're hitting them, you know, you're going to be in trouble, you know, that that's, you know, especially like a lot of times teams get stunned in those first two rounds. Like if you, if a team just starts blowing you out early, it's hard to come back sometimes, you know, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, that's what that's why you gotta love. You know, it's a wild ride, March Madness. You know, <laughs> I mean, literally everything we've talked about on this podcast is probably gonna blow up in our faces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly talking about how good Arizona is and watch them not win their conference tournament and then they lose to, to American University. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, a, a 15 seed will take out like Auburn yeah. or something, or Baylor will go down like right away. Like <laughs> you just never know, man. Uh, you know, it, yeah. and, and like I said, it's funny how it, it does end up evening itself out at the end, where usually the better teams start to win later. But man, the the first two rounds, anything can happen, and then the Sweet 16 tends to be very difficult, especially for the one seed. That's like the, I, yeah. when you look at the one seed, like they always have close games in those sweet 16s, you know, and, and yep. it's definitely an upset time. You know, they could definitely be upset there. So I think that's because, of, you know, you get the intensity level and, you know, we're talking about how hard it is to pick like these Northern Iowa's pick these liberties, you know, and when you're playing those teams, the first couple of games, right, the intensity is different. You're up 30 points with five minutes left to go. You know, you're kind of, you're kind of just freelancing until the game really ends, to be quite honest. Yeah. And I know I'll never kind of be admitted, but, you know, Coach K is not really coaching much. If Duke is up, you know, 75 to 46 with 12 minutes left or 10 minutes left to play in the second half, you know, they kind of simmer it down a little bit. But but I think it's the intensity level, right? And you saw it, and I bring up Duke because I remember the year they had R.J. Barrett, they had Zion, um, they had Cam Reddish. Uh, right stacked with NBA talent yeah. and ran through the first two games and they beat UCF um, and lost to Michigan State in the Elite Eight. But if you remember, you're talking about those Sweet 16 games, right? they played UCF who had no business like being in a game with Duke. Yeah. They had Taco Fall. That was like their big thing. Everyone wanted to watch Taco Fall play. Yeah. Um, but, but they, and they struggled, right? And historically, number one seeds do struggle in the Sweet 16. Um, and I think it's really because of, like you said, or like I was saying, but like you said, they struggle is with intensity, right? Yeah. Uh, like it just, I think that it's a different ball game when, when you start playing teams that are respectable versus teams that, you know, really don't have business being in those, you know, in those games with you, yeah. you know, and that's kind of what the story of March Madness is, but, but, you know, roughly usually the, the one seed is, is dominant yeah. until they get to that seed. And the intensity level changes. Yeah. Now there had there definitely have been eight and nine seeds that have beaten one seeds too, but usually those eight and nine seeds are teams that come from conferences that are battle tested. 
Um, so that, you know, it's not necessarily a shock a lot of the time, you know, uh, when, when that happens, obviously Northern Iowa was a shock, but like, you know, some of the, even though I picked them, it was, I guess it wasn't that big of a shock to me. I really, yeah. that year, I really looked at Kansas as a team that, uh, had uh, struggled in certain types of games. And I just, uh, kind of threw my hunch out there on that one and, and got it right. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. sometimes that's how you got to pick these games too. But, uh, you know, it's just, uh, sometimes I think that the coaches, especially for those one and two seeds, uh, they don't want like a game that's super close. Like they want to be able to win easy uh, in the first couple games, but I think they want it close maybe at halftime where they have to put up some intensity in the beginning of the second half and then they blow them out for the rest of the game. Cause I think that helps those teams and what you were just talking about, because yeah, I, I agree. If you're blowing out your first two games, then you got a whole week and then the sweet 16 comes up and you're playing against a team that has nothing to lose because no one's picking them. That's dangerous. You do not like, you know, they're going to be intense, you know, so you have to match their intensity. And if you get punched in the mouth and can't, you know, can't throw the haymaker back, like you're go, you're, you're going to be upset and you're going down. So, uh, I think I, I agree. Like, I think that's the biggest, biggest thing is that, that kind of intensity uh, compared to the to the first two rounds to the Sweet 16, it definitely ups, you know. And then after that, because you get that intensity in that Sweet 16, I think that that's why the one seeds and the two seeds do well later, because now they've got it and they're yeah, they kind of cool. yeah, yeah, exactly. Now yeah, I was gonna say I was glad that you mentioned about the Sweet 16 because I think it is a it's a turning point for a lot of those one seeds, you know, after that game. They kind of, you know, they take their shots, they lick their wounds after the game, and then it's, it's you know, business after that. Yeah, majority of the, of the time. Yeah, and, I mean, and we have statistics about this from 1979 when the seeds winning. So, you know, uh, when you have that much uh, for statistics, they tend to be pretty correct. You know, they're not perfect. You know, there's going to be things that go beyond what the statistics say. But uh, at this point, after all the of these games, the num- yeah, the numbers are not going to lie. Uh, you know, you talked about talking about Wisconsin. I do want to talk about them real quick. Uh, just, uh, you know, right now they're, they're leading the big Ten. going to, the game would have already happened uh, while you're listening to this, but they play Purdue for us tomorrow. Um, you know, in, in, in our time won. zone. They yeah. They let's, let's, let's hope that that's real. <laughs> if that's real, that's going to be, I'm going to put that video on Instagram. They won. No, right. They won. <laughs> Wisconsin won. <laughs> Give me my Big Ten championship ring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, uh, they've been very good this year. Wisconsin is. There's a reason why they're on the two line. I think at this point, um, it, it it they're 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 definitely a team that's going to be in contention. Uh, again, it depends on where matchups end and all that, and they have to play their best. But everybody's got to play their best, you know. So w- when you look at Wisconsin, like uh, you know we're how good of a chance do you think they have to make another final four run this year? Like, do you think that uh, they have a really good chance or do you think they're going to have some trouble early on? Um, whew, well, well, that's, that's a kind of, I got two parts to that cause it's kind of a loaded question. So I think they do have a really good chance. Um, I think of making, I wouldn't say the final four, I would say my chances on that. I'd probably place at about 40%. Okay you know, 30% maybe it's them, but I definitely think they're a threat in whatever region that they're in to win that region. So maybe advance to the final four. Yes, but at least make it to the elite eight. Those are kind of my expectations um, going into this March. Um, but 
um, like some of the other favorites that I talked about, right? Wisconsin has their flaws too. Um, they, they struggle guarding big men. Um, any real big men, when I think a semi-athletic post move in the paint kind of gets, kind of torches them for 30 plus points. Yeah. Uh, Dickinson showed that. Obviously, Coburn at Illinois showed that. Um, and then they all obviously had trouble against Houston. They won that game, but, you know, they had trouble later on in the game kind of navigating around those big men and then following it up on the other end of the court. So going into March, that's definitely something that they're going to need to clean up if they're going to win the conference tournament because I already said they beat Purdue, but they're going to have to, um, they're going to have to, to tighten that up in the conference tournament and definitely the NCAA tournament as well. Um, but my chance as far as my, or the way I see their chances as far as going to the final four, I think I'm, I'm pretty confident in them this year. You know, they were picked 10th by media in the big 10 um, to finish 10th. in the big 10. Yeah. Which um, I, I thought was really low. No, though. I didn't really, you know, I, I agree with you there. Yeah. I thought it was really low too, but I thought, I thought they were definitely a top seven team in the Big Ten. Um, but, you know, it was understandable. There's not a lot of guys that get a lot of national attention on that team that you would expect, you know, for people to take notice, right? Tyler Wall kind of came out of nowhere. Um, he got some good minutes last year, but, you know, there were a lot of parts of his still needed developing, and he's had a great summer. Um, obviously, Johnny Davis, three-star recruit out of high school. I double-checked on that. Um, only leading offer really was from Wisconsin. He had some other uh, power five, but I think it probably his best offer outside of that was West Virginia. Um, so now he's turned into a national uh, player of the year candidate. Um, I was talking to my dad about this. Um, I was going to say, uh, I remember out of 21 years, I remember 16 years of it. Um, and I would say that Johnny Davis is the best Badgers basketball player that I have ever seen. Um, as far as his instincts, um, his competitiveness, his toughness at the end of the games, and his killer component. I've never seen that kind of package deal come to the University of Wisconsin. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. No, so I've seen a lot of great players. I remember a lot of the, you know, Wisconsin greats. Caning was one of them. Ethan Happ, Kaminsky, Decker, yeah. Jordan Taylor was uh, also one of those oh, yeah. kind of crappy guys. Um, and then, you know, obviously he's national player, player of the year candidate, um, you know, and the, probably the biggest surprise on the team. Um, but Stephen Crowles really developed a three-point shot, shooting 36% as a big man um, from the three-point line is is a compliment for sure. Yeah. Um, because you don't, you know, now you kind of see that in this era of basketball. But I think it's rare that you see that at the college level. Yeah. Although Wisconsin you know, you always a, seems to have big guys that could throw down threes. They were they were kind of the pioneer of that. I always felt. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I really think that. I think Bo Ryan kind of started the importance. Of having a big man that could kind of take it in the post, but also play outside the perimeter too as well. Um, and so, like you said, yeah, they've always had that. And Corral has been that guy this year because I think that is something that they lacked last year. I mean, they had Potter and he was okay, but Nate Reavers kind of was an underachiever. You know, you always kind of expected more out of him, never really got it. So I think Stephen Crowell is doing everything, but the thing that he needs to do is, like I talked about earlier, is learn how to guard big men in March. Um, and then a couple more players, obviously Chucky Hepburn, freshman, um, who I think we talked about good guard play that you're going to need in March. Um, he won't be talked about probably his freshman year in the Big Ten, but I think he's probably been one of the most important pieces on this team because he knows pace. He, he reminds me a lot of Chris Paul from the Suns. He knows pace. He knows how to get players involved, and he also knows how to bait guys in the pits, and and that's important for creating your offense. And and especially this Wisconsin offense um, that is 57th in efficiency this year. 
and 78th in 1.6 points per, per, per possession this year nationally. Yeah. Um, so they're a lot faster than previous years. Obviously, they were kind of always an offense that kind of slows it down and then waits till 10 seconds to kind of get going. And now it's we're going to get our best shot and get our best players, you know, each possession to make their plays. Um, so I think they have a really good recipe and that, and that, that bodes well in March. Um, they can rebound, they can play defense and they're 14 and one in six points or less games this year. Yeah. Um, which is, which is also, you know, we talked about, um, you know, being 17, and know, Murray state two point leading two points after 13 minutes in the second half. So that that's, that's an important stat too, right? They know how to close out games and get it done. And obviously guard, you know, he doesn't really get much of the media and national media attention uh, because he's a silent assassin, yeah. uh, but he, he is the man. And uh, I think he should be getting coach of the year talks both nationally and in the big 10. And uh, he's definitely got experience in March. So yeah. people forget, you know, he knocked off Villanova as a one seed one year. Uh, he led them to the sweet 16 against Notre Dame. Uh, one year they they almost went to the elite eight when they played Florida and lost on a fluke buzzer beater, right? So guards got his experience too, um, and obviously last year losing to Baylor and Baylor shot fifty three percent from the field, so that's hard to beat. Yeah. Um, but but I I mean I really love this team. I was not expecting it at all. I was kind of kind of uh, bummed out. Um, I think going into this year that Wisconsin wasn't going to be kind of a shell of themselves as they had as I've known them to be. Yeah. Um, but great team and i think they have a lot of potential um the only thing that would scare me is obviously a big man or uh, our big man in the uh in march that could kind of pound them away yeah or um a team liberty that's shooting 50 <laughs> yeah <three. laughs> yeah a lot of teams are going to be afraid of that <laughs> I, yeah, I, now, dude, I, now i'm picking them in my bracket like you told me yeah that. they gotta that's they gotta make it first but yeah <laughs> i'm using that yeah, watching their tournament, they shoot like ten percent from three, and they get rocked yeah, yeah. <laughs> first game. Seventeen from beyond the perimeter. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you're you're in college, so you kind of get to geek out like I used to on these games. Uh, you have more, probably more time to watch them all. Uh, you know, like I used yeah. to just make sure I had all my stuff done, and even if I had classes on those days, sometimes I'd skip them to be honest. Uh, if, especially yeah. if it was a class I was getting an A in, uh, just for like that Thursday or whatever, but, uh, uh, you know, like, uh, it, watching all those games, it's so much fun. Like I, like, you know, when you're older, you got to work a little bit, uh, like me, like, uh, you know, I'll only be able to watch a few games until the weekend happens. And then, uh, uh, you know, I'll be streaming on my phone when I can taking breaks, checking scores and all that. But, uh, I mean, uh, I'm still jacked about it, even though I don't get to watch them yeah. all as much as I used to. I mean, what about like, are you jacked to watch? I mean, it's, it's yeah, so much I, fun. I, my, just... my, dad, my dad's 44 years old and he's jacked for it. So <laughs> like I mean, anybody who loves, I mean, this is just something to love. I'm yeah, absolutely jacked. I've always, I mean, that I watch just about, I think every March man, this game, uh, for the most part, yeah. um, Jasmine, um, is, uh, is, you know, with me during these times. Uh, so she kind of, she kind of has to be a little sluggish and get through it with me, even though I know <laughs> that I'm putting her through a lot of torture watching hours of college basketball. Yeah. Um, but I love her for it. So, yeah. So, and I, um, when I, I was in college too, there was, uh, it wasn't like, like now, like you could walk, pr pretty much watch any game you want. Like every single game is yeah. streaming. You can jump streams. It's on four different television, you know, stations. Uh, you know, when I, 
back when I watched, it was only on two stations usually uh, a lot of the time. Uh, so a lot of times they would cut back and forth from game to game. So I literally remember like they'd be like, okay, we're going to cut to this game because an upset might happen. And like there was like a big buzzer beater. And then they cut to another game and literally another buzzer beater. And it's just like so many buzzer beaters in like a two minute stretch. You're just like your head explodes. Like, <laughs> it's just, you know, yeah. it's just. I love March. I'm stoked this year on um, March, man. Actually, the first round, uh, the first games from the 17th to the 20th, first two rounds uh, is my spring break. Oh, and, nice. Uh, yeah. So you get I'll to geek out. I'll be, <laughs> yeah. We're at Palm Beach uh, for my buddy's 21st birthday, Bill. I talked about him and his Gonzaga yeah. Uh, so yeah, it'll be a blast. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's uh it's definitely one of the best times of the year. Like I still think it's one of the greatest weekends in sports just because of the, how many games and the magnitude of it all. Uh, it's just, uh, yeah, I think so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first day of March madness, um, I know this is unpopular opinion to some people, but I would say that probably the first day of the masters and, um, probably, uh, I would say, um, March Madness Masters and Opening Day, yeah, to me are like the three the three greatest days in sports. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I'm, I'm speaking of Opening Day, we do have to before we finish off yeah. this podcast. I do want to touch on this because uh, it definitely hits us hard being White Sox fans, Chicago White Sox fans. But you know, normally besides March Madness, you also have the excitement of spring training. Not necessarily the games because you know, whatever happens in games, whatever, maybe you get to see some young play players and, and all that. But, uh, for the most part, you're excited because it means the season's around the corner. Uh, you know, you're starting to see the, the, the roster shake out how the bullpen might end up, you know, uh, you know, it, you, you get to see if anyone's hot already, you know, sometimes when someone's having a hot spring, it, it c- carries over into opening day. So, you know, you get to watch to see like who's uh, who's having a big time spring, who might make a team as a bench player that comes out of nowhere, things like that. It, a year, yeah. You know, it's it, it's great, and and uh, you know, it's again, it's like uh, March Madness is kind of like the holdover, and then you get opening day normally. But uh, of course, this year we have the MLB lockout uh, taking it all away from us, and uh, you know, on this day, what I was looking at uh, just now, it doesn't look too good. It, it, it the, the season might definitely yeah. be canceled a month into the regular season at this point. Yeah. It could be bluffs by the owners too. The players' association doesn't necessarily think that they have to cancel a month if they can't get a deal ironed out tonight, as we record this. But the the, the owners are definitely using it, and uh, I, they're almost using it as spite. Uh, trying to hold those paychecks over the players' heads to, to get what they want. Um, it's kind of annoying how this went down, though, you know, because they they started the lockout right away as soon as the CBA ended. Uh, they didn't need to do that. It's it's a tactic that they used as a defensive measure. But then they didn't come up with an offer for six weeks. So you literally wasted a month and a half without even having talks, locking out the mm-hmm. players. And now you're expecting a deal in a couple of days when you guys were far apart. Like, I, I don't necessarily understand where they're at, um, you know, and, and I know you as a fellow White Sox fan, you know, you got to be kind of pissed off at this because, you know, we were excited. We were waiting for the offseason moves because you get the offseason that would have happened. 
the, the White Sox weren't able to make any signings and, and the lockout happened. So, you know, there's still people that are free agents, that players that they can pick up. Uh, there's still positions that they could shore up that we have no idea what they're going to be able to do when this it, it will end. But the question is when. Uh, you know, and then the season's going to be shortened because the problem is at this point in the year, uh, you do have to have a couple of weeks of spring training just to get everyone loosened up. Otherwise, you get injuries. I mean, that's what happened during the pandemic. Uh, that's why so many guys were injured uh, just this past year, too. So that's not good with, you know, I don't want to like we, no one wants to see star players injured in the first two weeks with quad injuries. And that's usually what happens when, when you don't get enough training. But then the offseason still has to happen because you need free agency and all that stuff to, to finish. That takes a couple of weeks. So at this point, in my opinion, I don't see them having opening day when they're scheduled anyway. But uh, you know, are you are you as pissed as me about the White Sox kind of being screwed again? <laughs> you know, you know, just because the owners don't want I mean, to share revenues essentially. Like, <laughs> yeah, and I think I mean the the part that's most upsetting is you know a bit thing. There's there's a few things that kind of play into you know there are factors here. And obviously the greatest one is that, right. The pack or the Packers, I'm sorry, the White Sox have a playoff <laughs> team. Yeah. So, so like we, we were in the playoffs two years in a row, um, division winners last year, um, a lot of great talent. La Russa's back uh, for the last year on his deal um, as of now. And uh, so a lot of optimism, a lot of hope and a lot of big names still left on the free agent uh, scale that need money yeah. right, and money that we have to spend. Um, so, so that is, uh, that is probably the most frustrating part about it. But also I think what's really kind of ticked me off about this is, is, you know, you know, I'm a big baseball guy. It's my, you know, my number one sport. I love, I love baseball. I believe it actually. Um, but the thing that's kind of, you know, upset me the most is the way Manfred's kind of handled all of this. Right. So, so like you said, right. So the C the, the CBA ends and uh, you know, we kind of go into agreements here. And we're meeting for 30 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day. You know, I'm not really seeing how that was ever beneficial to either both sides, right? You're wasting guys' time yeah. to, to schedule meetings, to meet for 15 minutes, right? That those are not conversations, those are not discussions, those don't drive any agreements at all. Right. So then to give the players, you know, kind of that ultimatum that they did in November, right? And you know, kind of first couple of weeks of December, I think it was players proposed something back, right? This is what we're looking for. It's kind of a rough estimate, as you would say, um, from the union. And like you said, the MLB took 46 days to reply to that, right? And then when they did reply to that, they gave a half-assed kind of kind of offer back to them and then said, oh, well, we need to get a federal mediator. <laughs> yeah. Well, to me, that that's that's a, a little bit of abuse of power. Right. And I know it's not all Manfred, but, but right. He's setting the owners up for this, right. When you don't come back with a response, you're not meeting with your contingents, you know, to kind of come to, to an understanding from the union and you take 46 days that you're setting the owners up for this, that when, so now you push yourself back after Christmas almost to reply to them, you know, we're going, we're not going to, I think it might've been actually past new year's. Day, yeah. Right. So, yeah. So now you're, you're, you're applying into the new year and waiting six weeks, you know, you set the owners up for that when the players come back and they laugh at this proposal that you gave back to them, you know, the MLB cries, well, we'll get our lawyers, Yeah. you know, and I, don't, and I think that's not, that's not a fair shake to the players. And you talked about the owners not wanting to give up money and it's been that way for years. I mean, anyone could look this up fan graphs. You could go to baseballreference.com oh, yeah. and you could look at 
team's profits that have gone up over the years. And as much as these players are getting paid, the overall landscape of the of professional baseball, right? Salaries are going down. Yeah. And that's just as, as simple as it is, right? And we've had a pandemic. We've had um, unforeseen circumstances that have kind of hindered the game here and there, hindered players' um, opportunities to kind of cash out on their performances. Um, but but when it comes down to it, right, it's it is it is billionaires versus millionaires, yeah. even though Walker Buehler said it isn't. It is. Yeah. But the thing about it that the billionaires will not budge on the on the essence of trying to bring integrity into the game for both the players, owners, and their commissioner, who has dropped the ball on this completely. Yeah. I mean, he just has. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not the biggest Manfred hater of all, like you know, like a lot of people are. But you know, we're going on rules from last year. We're going on the way that he's handled you know, the pandemic. And even though that was unforeseen, I mean, Adam Silver did just fine. The NFL did fine. Right. So the MLB struggled with that. And now we've had this whole, this whole kind of conspiracy theories from both sides on who's really saying what and who wants what. And, and all it really come down to is nothing, yeah. really nothing. No deal. And we're, we're roughly an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes away, two hours and 20 minutes away from having no, baseball for the first month of the season yeah. and i just don't see you know if that was their plan all along why you know not be upfront about that right yeah. because they have no integrity and that is the problem with the people running baseball and yeah. that's why we're in this you know this circumstance yeah and i mean some of the things that they're fighting about besides revenues too are things that the, the owners do to circumvent paychecks you know when they when they don't bring up a guy for three weeks so that uh, he loses, uh, you know, that fifth year option or whatever, like, or they don't have to pay him, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, he loses a year of free agency. I believe when, when they do that, so, you know, like they, they keep a control year on them it, that, that hurts some of those rookies that are coming up. Those things are just simple. Like, why does that exist? Like that's a loophole that is clearly only for the owners and not for the players. Like that doesn't make sense. Um, and then you talked about I'd argue arbitrations the same way. Yeah. Arbitration the same exact way too. That is true. And you talked about salaries uh as well. Uh a lot of times people look at the huge salaries that some guys get, like a Mookie Betts or something. But like when when that's still a small percentage of everyone in the league, you know, like there are a lot of players that make league minimum or just over it. Um, and uh, their salaries have been going down, you know, like, you know, and, and it, it hurts them, uh, you know, and, and again, we're talking about guys that when the league minimum of still, you know, you're making six figures if you're in the MLB for a year, but, um, you know, at this, you know, it, it's the way it is. And when you look at the amount of money that's being made, uh, there's something that you look at as, as what's fair and what's not. And, Teams have been saying they lose money all the time, and I just don't see it. Uh, that people watch TV, people go to the games. You know, it's like the only time people don't go to your games is when your team's terrible and you put a terrible team on the field. You know, like it's just, uh, you know, it, it, it's like, it, I don't know. It's just, it seems like a bunch of like rich people crying uh, because uh, they have to spend any money at all, and it's just, it's kind of, kind of annoying yeah. as a fan to see that. Yeah. I, and I can't imagine being a player too. I mean, they got to be fed up, right? I mean, they want their piece of the cake and, and, and rightfully so they deserve it. And like you said, and I think you were preaching there, right? Is everyone's going to look at the trout deal. They're going to look at the Tatis deal. They're going to look at the Manny Machado's, the Bryce Harper's, but you know, people forget Baltimore and, and Cleveland, right? Uh, the guardians there, those two teams were at the bottom two of the league last year in payroll. You know what their payroll was? 29 million. Yeah. 
right? A field in a 40 man roster at $29 million. That's crazy. Right. So I understand the argument from the players, right? We're away from our families, you know, for eight months out of the year, eight, nine months out of the year. Right. And, and we're getting paid far less than the averages that we should be making based off your profit. And now there's mobile streaming. There's, you know, fan, fan dual sports books are getting involved with, yeah. you know, Wrigley and other teams. And so there's mega deals coming television. Yeah. Um, NBC is, is negotiating with the MLB to, to broadcast some games, maybe get a playoff game. Right. So, you know, you're bringing in money that way too. And, and I just think that it's, it's all, you know, it's really just greediness. And that's kind of what you alluded to, right. With the owners, it's just, you know, we have it all and we need to do whatever we can to give a little to them so that they shut up, but not enough to where we lose out on how we've been cashing out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, uh, I remember 94, man, like uh, the Sox had just made, made the playoffs in 93. They lost to Toronto, um, which Toronto was the better team, but it was a good series and it was fun as a kid. That was like the first time I was really kind of remembering, you know, like, you know, I, I was at the age where it's like, I'm into the White Sox at that point. Um, and, they still have Misky 94. Eight. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah. and, uh, you know, they were. They were good in 90, man. Like they were, they were, it was them in Montreal that they were looking like those were the two teams that everyone was picking to possibly go to the World Series. Uh, you know, it's just everybody was clicking. Uh, the, the, you know, it just, it just had that feel. And I just remember, you know, uh, you know, at that time you go run out, uh, you know, on 31st or on uh, 29th Street and Canal, uh, and you'd see the fireworks and homework when home runs were going off. Uh, and just as a kid running out there, just being excited about every game. And then it was just over. And as a kid, you're just like, what, why are the games over? Like what's happening? And they never yeah. came back. <laughs> and then when they did <laughs> the next year in, in the, the season started late, of course, it was a shortened season in 95, you know, I'm a kid, I'm excited about the Sox again. It's like, Hey, they were a world series. You know, the, the, everyone was talking about last year. They're, they're going to be good again. Nope. It was a horrible year. <laughs> 1995 was a year that uh, everybody talks about as one of the worst seasons. Uh, it left a oh. it left a bad taste in my mouth, and you know, and then it took until 2000 for them to be good again. And I was just like so upset uh, that 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 happened in the first place. And again, this year, uh, r- regardless of what happens when the season starts, the Sox are are going to be good. Regardless, they they clearly have a good roster. Even if they, uh, while well, I would think it's a mistake, even if they didn't pick anyone else up they're still going to be good. You know, it's like, it's not like they're going to be bad just because they didn't pick somebody up. It's just, if they pick guys up, they're probably going to elevate their team higher. But uh, you know, it's just these things just, it's just upsetting. You know, we had the pandemic shortened year and just think about how much we wanted baseball that year when we had to wait that long time. And then it was a, a 60 game season and it just felt like it went way too fast. Uh, you know, we finally got a season last year and, you know, fans started to go, you were at the playoff game and that was like super, like I could just tell by that atmosphere that that must've been super fun. Uh, and, 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 and here we are like waiting for it to start again. It might not, you know, th- thankfully we have March madness because, uh, you know, I'd be very upset at this point if we didn't have something else to distract us. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's just, it's disappointing. It's a shame. It's a lot of things just, I mean, you know, we're talking about, uh, you're talking about like as a kid, you know, um, or, you know, maybe an older kid in the nineties. Right. And, and I think that that's also kind of a relevant topic, I think now too. Right. I mean, <clears throat> the game of baseball, you know, as to 
au contraire, I guess, to what the oppositions would be saying as far as TV ratings is they went up the past two years, yeah. right? Even, I mean, the pandemic, arguably, you can make a you can make an argument that that was probably because nobody had anything to do yeah. and it was sports on TV. Yeah. We were down for it. But last year, they were up 19%, right? So, so the game was growing. You got a lot of young stars, a lot of flashy and a lot of jewelry and a lot of nice cars, a lot of celebrity outings, right? From a lot of these players and, and, and kids that play baseball want to be like that. Right. But when you institute a lockout, right. And, and it's even a worse sign that when you are the commissioner of the league and you impose your own deadline and implode yourself into that deadline and not commit to it and meet reach, you know, a deal by that deadline, it's just, it's a really bad look for baseball. And I'm, I am quite nervous, honestly, to be quite honest with you about what the future looks like for the league, because I I'm, yeah. I'm worried that, you know, we're turning America's pastime into America's, nap time and that's that's not that's not that's not the way the game has always been meant to me it's not the way i've learned to love it and uh i just i i hate to see it i never thought that it would come to this and i talked to my dad about this during the pandemic actually when the two sides were were struggling even then as i i knew the cba was coming up and and after after the following season and and i told him and i was like this might be the, you know, one of the most catastrophic things that happens to the game. And I said, I hope I'm wrong, but so far Manfred's proven me right by yeah. his actions. And, I was worried you know, about like it too. Said, I was definitely worried about it. Um, and I, it, it was and something I that was on my mind as soon as the Sox lost to Houston last year in the playoffs. Like, you know, I was just like, I really hope that there's not a lockout next year because the Sox will really definitely have a shot to win it all next year. If like, you know, and I mean, I remember talking, having that conversation with you actually the day they lost to Houston, we were like, you know, I remember we were like, Oh, we're not going to watch the end of it. Cause I was too upset. And you were too upset to like see them celebrate on the field. But, yeah. You know, then we talked about it later and we're like, yeah, you know, we got some holes to fill, but we could be good next year. Like, maybe if we play games yeah exactly like, oh, it's, it's always been and it's you know i think that makes it more frustrating right is like my worries our worries turn turn to reality and that's it's just it's just a really bad look for baseball i mean that's all i can really how i can really pinpoint it's just it's a really bad look yeah and, and actually i talked about uh i talked about this on my first random reactions uh episode uh that was a couple weeks ago for this second season that i'm doing and uh you know that was my top story was the lockout uh that's where i got hitting wiffle balls in the snow because i was so upset at the lockout and the potential yeah. that was going on and i also played mlb the show uh the newest one to yeah. uh, to show what should have happened and had the white Sox beating houston <laughs> like yeah, you, know, you know you know the, the Kimbrel struck out guys and and you know things that Mankata hit a three I run homer all, yeah <laughs> it, everything worked October on that game last year and that was yeah everything worked for me too yeah that was awesome. yeah it's just but uh, but the one thing that I also talked about though is that uh, you know that if you love baseball um, it it's it's definitely sucks that the MLB is going through this I agree with you that I think it's bad and I. To be honest, I have this hope in the back of my head that the owners would understand that, that you got to make a deal, guys, no matter what it is, because you can't have games missed because of what happened last time. Like you were just finally, you know, that left a bad taste in people's mouth for like 20 years. Uh, And it was just turning around and then you do it again, just as young fans are starting to watch the game again. Like, it's just, you know, it's rough, but 
I think I think people kind of fell out of baseball completely. And my point was that if you love baseball, uh, don't fret because you got townie baseball that comes up in the summer. You know, those amateur baseball leagues that are still going to play. And I know I believe the minor leagues don't count in lockouts, so they'll they'll still play games too. Um, you know, in, in Madison, you still have the Mellers, I believe. Man. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, like, it's just like, you can watch really fun games, good baseball games, have a couple beers, summer day, summer night, whatever, uh, you know, find a team in your town, watch them. You know, like I cover, uh, the, the champion low gators up here for uh, the Metro mini league and, and all those teams that are around there are really good. It's just, you know, it's like, you see those games. It's like the raw, pure form of baseball. Just a bunch of guys getting together, playing games. Uh, you know, they pro- you know, a lot of them are on the off season of their college career. Some of them are 40 year olds that, uh, you know, are at the end of their careers and they got wife and kids and, and jobs and they're still out there playing baseball, you know, catching, catching almost every day, you know, cause they out here, they play, they play a pretty decent amount of games, you know, three, four times a week. So, uh, it's, you know, it, it's one thing that I was like, okay, if I'm going to put a positive spin on it is that if you love baseball, you could still go out and watch these games and have a good time. Um, you know, it, it still might hurt the MLB in the end, but you know, if you stay connected to baseball, like, uh, when the MLB does come back, inevitably it will, you know, you'll have that later, you know, but, uh, it's definitely cheaper to go to an amateur game. A lot of them are free. You know, you just pay for a couple of beers at the stands, a hot dog and it, you know, and uh, watch the game, <laughs> you, know? you know, especially when they get to the playoffs, you know, it's like uh, the one game I was covering, you know, the guy hit a home run. It was a, it was a close game. And the, 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 the team that won was going to go to the championship and uh, of the, for the uh, class B amateur in Minnesota. And, uh, the guy that hit, he hit a home run in like the, I think it was the bottom of the eighth and he was rounding the bases. And like, as he rounded 30, looked in the Champlin dugout and like, literally like, just like, let's fucking go. Like, <laughs> and, and of course the entire Champlin dugout is just like, fuck you. Like just, you know, <laughs> and it just caused this whole thing. And the umps are warning people like things are going on. Champlin actually ended up coming back to tie the game, but ended up losing uh, later. But uh, you know, they, they tied the game and it's most likely because they were motivated by what they called a Bush league move. But that's how competitive it is, man. Like they, they literally are going to play the games. Uh, uh, they're gonna, they're gonna fight hard. They love to win. Uh, they, they're having fun out there. They're, they're pretty good games. You know, like I said, even though there's a mixture of twenty year olds and forty year olds on teams, a lot of the twenty year olds, a lot of them are, are good college baseball players too, and some of them might end up in the minor leagues. There have been some kids mm. that have definitely made the minor leagues after playing in the amateur uh, league. There's some some players that played in the minors and just didn't make the cut and come back to play, but they're clearly still very good because it's hard to make the major leagues, you know. So you could still be a super good player and just not be in that top tier. So it's you know it's good baseball. So it's just like you know the lockout's going to happen. You know if if we lose games, well, sorry MLB, I'm just going to go watch the local amateur team then and and uh, kind of laugh at how Manfred's an idiot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and yeah, I, I don't sleep on college baseball too. Oh yeah, I mean, I know it's just starting up, but once you get into, uh, you know, you get into a couple of weeks in the March, actually, when the March Madness will be going on, you start getting in the conference play in college baseball. And let me tell you, man, like you're talking about in amateur leagues, it's the same way. I mean, those kids, 
I, you know, this is the different type of level of, uh, of, of drive and motivation that you see at that level than you do with MLB, you know, yeah. and granted MLB plays 162, right. You're playing five or six games a week, but, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely, there's definitely baseball will always be around, you know, I'm not worried about that and I love the game and I'll, I'll stay into it, but it's just, uh, there's nothing like watching the White Sox. I know you know, I know that, so man. It's, <laughs> it's one of those things. It's like, oh man, especially after getting that taste of playoff, like real playoffs. Because let's be honest, the pandemic, I don't count that, even though yeah. they made it. But it's different. It, that was different. Yeah. The, the real play, like especially that win, you know, like three run bombs by Garcia, like coming back, like that game, like it was just, you know, it's like I forget everything else because I had like that game was such an up and down roller coaster emotionally to watch as a fan and then to have it go your way like and, and just to see the crowd into it and you were there man like it's just uh there's something there's nothing like it you know it's it's uh yeah, it's mean, just amazing that Leary Garcia, i think uh probably my two two favorite white Sox games i ever been to is the blackout game and then game three of the alds last year i mean that garcia homer I've just I've never heard the stadium that loud before ever in my life. Oh man. Or seen that many people at the stadium just going I mean the place pandemonium. Like yeah. it was yeah. And that that game three just, you know, I was a high scoring game. I think 17 runs, right? And that game 12 to 5, I think was the score. So yeah, that game was incredible. That was a definitely a great experience. Uh definitely up and down emotionally, as was I uh throughout the game for sure. But but um yeah, that Larry Garcia homer is is that's like engraved in my brain, and I will never forget that moment. Yeah, for sure. And I actually, the Sox were so bad in day games last year for some strange reason yeah. uh, that I I had a feeling Game Four wasn't going to go good once they postponed. Like I thought that if if it was a night game, the next game, and it was the next day, uh, they could have won and went back to Houston, and anything can happen at that point. You know, Houston might have had more pressure on themselves at that point. Um, it, because it went to a day game and they lost the momentum because there was the day off all of a sudden, it allowed Houston to kind of take a deep breath, I think. And, um, and, uh, and, 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 and throw McCullough. Yeah. They weren't going to throw McCullough's until the rain. Yeah. Or I mean, until the rain. Right. So, so I, I agree with you hundred percent on it. That was a great point. No, I think, I think it really settled them down because I think they were rattled after that game three, like realizing that like, you know, this isn't the same White Sox. The atmosphere is not that like there aren't, you know, 10,000 fans in the stands anymore. Yeah. Like they're, they're there. Yeah. The a lot of there. people said it think... was the loudest game they've ever seen anytime. Like, you know, we're talking like, yeah. you know, like the announcer, like AJ Brzezinski's like, I don't remember it being this loud in 05. <laughs> like, yeah. You know? yeah. They were, yeah, that was, it was insane. It really was. That was the loudest I think I've ever heard their stadium. I don't know about any stadium. The United Center gets pretty loud when the Hawks were good. Oh yeah, uh, I remember some of those years, but but I mean, close to it, man. That yeah, that was that was definitely great experience at night too, and that just that made everything. Oh yeah, my dad, uh, he said that he uh, every time something happened, like he heard the crowd, and he's like, it was like they were in my kitchen. <laughs> like, yeah. That's how loud yeah. they were. Like yeah. we're talking blocks yeah, away, dad- you know. Yeah, my dad too on Emerald. I won't say numbers or anything, but on Emerald too. So we're talking like six or seven blocks away, you know, almost a mile away from the stadium, kind of towards where like George's is and in, in that Chase Bank. Um, and uh, he said he knew what was going to happen before we come on TV because he could just hear the stadium. Going yeah, because there's a del- there's a little bit of delay. <laughs> yeah, three and a half seconds. Yeah. yeah. 
So yeah, but yeah, I lost my voice too. I think that night as well. So it was it was definitely quite the game, man. Oh yeah. So I miss it. I'm I'm gonna miss it in the in the dreams of uh, making it this year. Hopefully, we can get back to the season soon. Yeah, because we need it. Yeah, we do. We do. Come on, man. Oh, get, get this going. Yeah, let's wrap up this lockout. It's nonsense. <laughs> like, like I, I think we're all on the same page. Or any baseball fans on the same page? I think at that point, like, let's just it's over. <laughs> Take your concessions and let's go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Well, uh, you know, thanks again for for coming on the, the podcast. I know, thanks, yeah, it was like a you know, it was a little late notice. I had another guest, and it just things came up randomly. And based on my work schedule, I had to work something out. So I'm glad that you were able to come on, and and I had a blast. You know, talking March Madness. Uh, you know, White Sox yeah, moments. You have a good time. Man. Yeah, for sure. I can have a good. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Like, uh, it's all, it's always good. Second time you've been on, I'm sure you'll be on many, many, many times coming up. Uh, so, so yeah, so, uh, it's a, it's always a blast, man. Uh, I, again, uh, appreciate, uh, all of your, all of your insight as well. Um, you know, come prepared, uh, come, come prepared with those comments. I like that. Um, the pleasure is mine. You put in the effort and I put in the effort back. It's all <laughs> definitely, definitely. I have to say thanks to everyone uh, who's been listening and supporting the Sun-Dried Tomatoes podcast and YouTube channel. Thanks to everyone who has subscribed and downloaded the podcast and to those who have subscribed on my YouTube channel. Uh, This wouldn't be possible with all of your help and support. And I really do appreciate it. Once again, thanks to my cousin Austin for coming on. Uh, you know, talking about all these things and, and we'll have to keep messaging uh, during March Madness because we don't know what's going to go on. Uh, you know, especially if Liberty makes it, you know, we'll have to be like, did you yeah, see that right. 50%? Yeah, so tell you That's your team now. Anytime they do anything, I'm just texting <laughs> Liberty. Giving you sworn up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's going to be a blast. So until next, uh, till next month, or actually until later this month, uh, based on the, this, uh, the way the podcast worked this time, I will say salute.